Like for example, uh, I think I was saying it was for the audio fade tutorial, like three different ways to do audio fades. And I, and I said, using instead of using, <laughs> and I was like, using, using. and usually I will like make fun of myself and do like a funny voice. And then in the last video that I just published, I said recently <laughs> instead of recently. So my editor had fun with that, where I like turned my head and I said, recently, recently. Welcome back to Famous Editors. Today I'm talking to someone who, if you watch editing tutorials on YouTube, you uh, almost certainly know and follow Kelsey Brennan, AKA Premier Gal, with over 400,000 subscribers, almost 30 million views on her YouTube channel, makes tutorials in all areas of post-production, everything from Premiere and After Effects to Photoshop. Today we're gonna talk about the $100,000 mistake she made that ended up leading to her incredibly successful career producing content and tutorials on YouTube. And we're also gonna talk about how Kelsey has turned this channel into an amazing business. All of the really smart ways that she brings even more value to her audience uh, and the revenue streams that that creates. There's a lot of insight, a lot of uh, tactics that everyone can use who's building a following or who's creating content as an editor or filmmaker. Uh, I think you'll enjoy this and learn as much as I did. Here we go. Kelsey, you and your channel have come a long way since that first video teaching captions back in 2016. Well, first of all, to comment on that first video, I'm always laughing at that video because I actually recorded my audio with just my built-in laptop microphone. <laughs> and I was just in my like studio bedroom apartment and I didn't really know like the tone and kind of the casual vibe that I wanted to portray, which is actually just like being yourself. Right. And instead I was like trying to be all like, Hey everybody, welcome to gal. Like it was like such a weird voice that I did. And it's like, why did I sound like that? But it's just funny to like reflect back on those, that first video and kind of like how there was like different periods where I would like want to be like super perfect in the videos and like try to say everything correctly. And now I just kind of like record and keep in the imperfections and like make fun of myself more uh, kind of like how you are when you're like hanging out with your friends you know and you're like just like you mess up or like you say something funny and you react to it you know so I'm trying to embrace more of that now um and I think that I'm enjoying the process more as I'm creating these tutorials and but at the end of the day like I still enjoyed it before it's just now I'm focused more on just like the actual creating part and not the perfection part of, you know, editing, you know, how it goes. So, but it's been a journey. And like, at first I was, you know, working full time as a video producer. I always say in my interviews that I was a shredditor, a shooter, editor, producer. And uh, while I was working, I got some opportunities to do some like training and I really enjoyed it. And that's what kind of got me curious about creating the YouTube channel around the idea of like helping and educating. Um, Cause I didn't really vlog. I thought that was awkward for me. I just wanted to like showcase my talent and like share these cool tips because I know that like a lot of my job was like trying to figure things out. I always say that editing's like problem solving, like how can we fix this? And sometimes there's not like an easy solution. You might have to do some research. And I was like, I could share this with other people and hopefully it'll help them out. So here we are 
almost 400,000 subscribers. And I know there's still so much more growth to happen. And it's exciting every, every week, you know. Have you ever made a mistake during that recording that then you had to fix and post or that you just ended up publishing anyways? Recently, I... I'll like say something and I'll like mess up the word. Like, for example, uh, I think I was saying it was for the audio fade tutorial, like three different ways to do audio fades. And I said, using instead of using. <laughs> and I was like, using, using. and usually I will like make fun of myself and do like a funny voice. And then in the last video that I just published, I said recently instead of recently. So my editor had fun with that where I like turned my head and I said recently, recently and like <laughs> cut that in. So it was kind of like a funny moment where we do that. And then we try to do kind of like meme editing now where it's like, for example, in a recent video I did on the fish eye lens effect, like how to create that in post-production where it looks like you shot with a, a fish eye lens. And in the beginning, I'm like, oh, here in my timeline, I have this really cool music track and stock video. And like, I start like, you know, bobbing my head to the music while I'm like playing it back in the timeline just to start the intro. And the song that I used was actually uh, was David Guetta's song. And the sponsor of that video was Licked, where you can actually license mainstream music for a very low fee. I think it's like $8 per track. So you can use that mainstream music in your video without getting a copyright strike, which is really cool. And eight bucks. I mean, yeah, you don't get demonetized. So it's pretty cool. So anyway, that's a side note on why I had this music. And it was it was the song Memories with uh, Kid Cudi. So it's a pretty cool like electronic beat. So I was like walking my head back and forth. And he actually took a stock video clip, masked my face to like a dancer. So it looked like I was like a jib jab dancer, like dancing to the music. So it's like little funny edits like that we've been starting to do because it's like, yeah, you know, learning can be kind of dry and like watching back some of my stuff. It was very for any level, right? For beginners advanced, but you have to have a little bit of comedy in it to like keep that viewer retention up. So those are just like a couple of examples. Oh, I love that. <laughs> How do you pick your topics for your videos? Oh man, it's sometimes it's like last minute and thank God for my sponsors too, for having deadlines. Cause sometimes I'm like, I need to come up with a topic. Like, and I force myself to just like think of something. And sometimes it just doesn't happen in that moment. And I will just like, you know, sleep on it. And like, you know, like when you sleep, how people say that like your brain is like always working subconsciously to like think of ideas. And sometimes I'll be like inspired by something that I see. Like we were talking about how potentially we're going to watch a trailer and break it down. Sometimes I'll be inspired by the things that I see. Like, how can I break down that effect? So sometimes it's related to the topic of the sponsor. So like, for example, I think audio fades was... I can't remember, but I was like trying to think of an audio topic that would make sense for people that maybe want to get unlimited music and sound effects. So I was like, oh, audio fades are really cool. And, you know, I haven't done a video showing like three different methods. So I'm always trying to think, how can I make the video as useful as possible, showing as many different techniques without it getting like unwieldy, like like a full course, you know, so trying to like keep it simple. Yeah, that's cool. How often are you surprised by which ones become very popular? Oh my gosh, it's always a gamble. It's so weird. Like sometimes I'm like, I'm like, I put in all this effort and it's, and then like the video is like ranking number 10 out of 10. And you're like, what did I do wrong? Like, and sometimes those videos are really bad in the beginning. And like six months later, they like take off. This is what's so cool about 
like our genre of like educational content is they're usually like evergreen for several years afterwards. So you're, you're going to get like, you know, for example, the best video on my channel is actually a Photoshop tutorial and it's how to restore an old photo. And I use an old photo from like the fifties of my grandpa on his wedding day. And I just, I saw that. yeah. And it's like, it has over a million views and it's helped a lot of people. And I was actually worried about that video. I thought it wasn't going to do well because it was over 17 minutes. And at the time, YouTube wasn't really pushing like long form content. This is like before people started doing those like 20 minute vlogs. This is in like 2016, 2017. But now you see like videos that are like 30 minutes, an hour and people are watching, right? So it's, it was a different era. And then that's the best video on my channel. So you can't really predict it, but what you can do is like do the best that you can to like show your passion in that video. And hopefully people will relate to it over time. And it's, it's different. Like there's a lot more competition now on YouTube, you know? So the viewership is getting divided up. So it's hard for me to predict like how many views I'm going to get. I'm not like a vlogging channel where, you know, some people are consistently getting like, you know, a million views on each video because they're like following a story because all of my videos are kind of separate entities. And it's not like, every subscriber is like, I'm going to watch this video every single week. There are a few, but not all of them are like following that story. Right. Yeah. What other types of content have you considered posting on the, on the channel? What might you do? Will you ever do like your own narrative series or something showing, showing your skills at use? Yeah. Like I've thought about different ways to like make the content more engaging rather than just like in the studio and like doing a tutorial um, one that I really enjoyed doing was a few years ago when I was living in Portland, Oregon, and I wanted to do this like 360 uh, camera effect, but with one camera. And like we showed myself going to a Walmart and buying like a mini trampoline and like getting all the props and like preparing for it. It was like a journey process. And the effect didn't actually turn out that great, but the like process of the video was like really cool. So I was hoping to do more things like that. It's just, it does take a lot more time. So you have to plan because there's so many different elements of that production that you're putting into the edit. So what I'm hoping to do is get ahead <laughs> by like, I don't know, a couple months of videos. That way I can like plan for those more productions. And then in terms of more personal content, like I did one video where it was called my $100,000 mistake and it was a more personal story about my student loans and getting a master's degree. And like, it was to go into video, but I kind of talk about kind of that impact and how it changed me and blah, blah, blah. And some people really enjoyed it. So it was a different type of perspective on, you know, my, my more personal story rather than just showing how to do an effect. But I haven't really found anything else that I was like, oh, what can I talk about? So it's definitely, I think it's more challenging and it's just, I want to have more of a challenge because right now it's like super comfortable for me to just like be like, okay, I'm going to like sit down and come up with this effect and like script it out. And I've gotten really good at that. And it's easy for you to like stay in that comfortable space. Right. So it's like, how can you challenge yourself? And I know that there's so many cool ideas I have. It really just comes down to time. And so I hope getting ahead will give me a little bit more time to like think about those ideas. Cause sometimes with week to week production, it's like, you really have to just get things done. Cause there's other things going on in life, you know? <laughs> Tell me about grad school. Tell me about your 
hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you can watch the video too for more detail, but basically, um, when I finished my undergrad, I went to UC Santa Barbara, the film and media studies program there. And, you know, at the time it was recently changing that, you know, uh, University of California schools did get a little bit more expensive and I was able to get a couple grants and scholarships, but I think I ended up still leaving with some debt. I can't remember how much, but I had some undergraduate debt. And then, um, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, like all of us, when we graduate college, you know, there's internships you can do, you could like move to LA and just, you know, try to make ends meet and all of that. But I really enjoyed the film history and the study side of the theoretical side of film that I also learned in addition to the practitioner side of like editing and producing that I was like, I really just, you know, want to explore this further. I really enjoyed writing papers about it, like, you know, breaking down like different films. And I was like, maybe I should go to grad school. Like maybe I want to become a film professor, you know, and that's kind of what I did I apply to these different programs and I got into this program called Communication, Culture, and Technology. It's a master's of arts program that's interdisciplinary, which means you can choose your own discipline, which is it doesn't have to be one set like master track. You can integrate sociology with, with film, um, history, you know, all sorts of different things. So I did that. And the reason why they got me, because otherwise I wouldn't have gone, is I got a fellowship to work in this facility that was right next to the department called CANDLES, which is actually the acronym for the Center of New Design in Learning and Scholarship. It's a very long acronym. So they actually were like centered on like new ways of like teaching through technology and design. It's very interesting. And I was like, oh, I got this fellowship, but it didn't really pay for my like into my, my tuition, but it gave me like a job so I could like pay for my living expenses there. But still Georgetown is expensive. Like you need to either come from money or have a scholarship to, to afford it. So it was quite expensive to go there. And that plus interest and, you know, my master's arts, it was like over a hundred thousand dollars I had by the time I graduated. And I was like, gosh, like, I can't go on to like get a PhD now. Like I wouldn't be able to make it like make ends meet. So I was like, I I have to get a job now. And that's when I ended up working in DC, as I was telling you before we started recording that I ended up was like, okay, I need to make money. So let's find a full-time job in video and let's like pay off this debt, you know? And I thought that I would have to be paying it off for like 30 years. Like a lot of people do. It's like scary to think about it. When I was so young, cause I went straight from undergrad to graduate school. I was like 21 when I signed this loan agreement, I was still like a kid. Like, I can't believe it's actually legal for me to sign something at that age. I know you're an adult at that age and everything, but it's still like when you're younger, you're like, Oh, it's going to be no problem, you know, but it's different when you get older and you think about it differently. That, that's changed and shifted. And I was like, geez, like I really need to figure out something. So actually Gal was kind of like a way for me to think about how can I, you know, pay off this loan quicker. So while it was like a passion project, it was also trying to be creative with like being an entrepreneur to see how I could make more income through my passion. And so I've been able to monetize this channel through my own store, through sponsors and everything. And Um, yeah, I'm almost done paying off that debt on the side. So how many years, how many years? Um, 
2013, I graduated. And actually, this is something to say that's, that's, that'll be good for people to know. The first few years, my interest was more than I paid off. So it oh, was brutal. brutal. Yeah. So I've refinanced. So if you guys are you yeah. know, struggling with this and you've had this, once I got it down to a certain amount, I was able to refinance to lower the rate. So when I came out of grad school, it was at 7%, just huge for a hundred thousand, more than that actually. And so I got it down to 3.5% recently and I'll be done next year paying it off. So it was really, I would say 2016 is probably more accurate because of the interest, you know, but yeah, it's pretty crazy. You know, the interest sucks and uh, Coming to Europe, you know, my partner here, Ani, is like, why would you spend that much money on education? And, you know, while it was, it may seem like a mistake. And to maybe some people who also are struggling with debt, it's like it did lead me to where I am today. And I don't know if I would have ended up creating Gal, to be honest. Um, it did push me to think more creatively. How can I pay this off? And it gave me like a purpose, if that makes sense. So otherwise I would be screwed. I was like, what, you're just going to pay this off. I didn't want to be that type of person. I wanted to enjoy my life and, you know, it felt crushing, but I didn't let it crush me. I was like, going to overcome this and like, look at it as a positive thing, you know? Yeah. Very, very good. But I, uh, I understand I was in a similar situation. I went to grad school, uh, for film. I studied film as an undergrad and it was a very expensive program in New York and for that entire first semester, I couldn't concentrate on the classes because I kept checking my balance, which kept increasing. <laughs> and I would see these uh, kids, you know, two years ahead of me that were coming out of the program with like almost 300000 of debt uh, between the tuition and, and the uh, housing. And I said, how do you start your film career? like that. No one is, no one's waiting to hire you. Yeah. It's like a different profession, right? I mean, I know, I think I talked to somebody who was like, yeah, if you're not a doctor or like a lawyer, you shouldn't have student loan debt. And it's like, yes and no, but I still think that like when it comes to education, it should be free, you know? And I think that like, it can be crushing. And it, as you said, it was distracting and some people like got really depressed because of it, you know? And it's kind of sad. And I, and I hope that I'm not anti-education now in higher ed because I went through it and I, I think that um, it did give me the connections that I needed and the support system that I needed to like go on and find my full-time job. But it's like there has to be a different way of doing it, like where you don't feel pressured in. I think I grew up in that era where there was kind of this pressure to like do well on your ACTs, your SATs and all your, you know, and like get good grades. So you can get into a good college. And it was this whole like ideology that you need to go to college to have success in life. But that's not necessarily true now. And I think that's different in today's culture, right? Do you think people realize that now? I think it's a little bit different. Well, in Europe, it's, I think, more different than U.S. culture, for sure. Um, but in the U.S. culture, I'm not sure because I haven't spoken to like Gen Z right now about what what they're doing. But as I can see with a lot of online classes now, and especially because of COVID, like things have shifted as well, where you can like still get a higher education, but not at such a high price. Does that make sense? So when people ask you, is film school, what, what do you tell them? So I had some people that went to just like, like the, like MFA programs that are mainly just focused on like the practice. And, you know, the, it was a tough decision for them because it, it really does come down to the money of it when you could really right now, 
with social media and the right connections, you could probably raise enough money on like GoFundMe or Indiegogo to like produce a film project and then create like the network and connections around that whole process rather than paying somebody else and getting in debt to do that. But I mean, there is so much value. It really comes down to the professors or the people in the program that inspire you that will make it worth it, you know? Because when I was going to school in UC Santa Barbara, especially the professors and the people that were running the department were just so great, so friendly, so in touch with the students that it was just like you felt uplifted, you know, the support system versus when you're by yourself, you're kind of like ice, more isolated. You can have more self-doubt. And I've gone through that, too, and especially in grad school where you're more isolated because it's kind of like on you to like do what you need to do. You don't have as much support as you did in undergrad. So, you know, you have to think about, you have to look at the pros and cons of each and some people work better in a system, but if you're a self-starter entrepreneurial spirit, you know, you may not need that, but you could start interning and working and like offering help. There's so many different directions you can take. So if you're, if you feel like that, if the money part is a concern, I would definitely explore the pros and cons of like other ways of doing it as well. So it's not a very direct answer. I would just say explore your options, you know, and be creative with it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, if you were just coming out of, let's say undergrad right now, knew that you wanted to be an editor and we're going to do anything else in that world other than creating, uh, the premier gal channel. Where would you start? What would you oh, do? Oh man, I think, I think for me, like in terms of other goals that I would have, I mean, of course, from the editing perspective, I mean, I would love to be an editor for a Netflix series or some sort of TV show. Like that would be super cool for me. Cool. Um, and I've been trying to like reach out and like put energy in that direction, to, like try something like that. Cause it's, it's always still possible, you know, cause I don't know. I, I, I like to try new things, but other than that, like, gosh, I love so many different other aspects of life from like cooking, gardening, dogs. I have two dogs. Like there's so many different paths I would like to take. I mean, from a medical perspective, I'm really interested in like mental health and physical health. And I don't know if you've heard about osteopathy, but it's like healing the body through touch and like healing. And I just love all that stuff that I don't know, maybe I would go the more yoga instructor osteopath route. Like, I don't know what would happen, but I think something about editing and producing and creating something just excited me the most because I got to share that final product. Yeah. So I think finally through the connections and the friends that I made through that process, it just, I was pulled in that direction while there were so many different things that make up everyone's life, just like anybody. It's like, you just are drawn more in that direction. So I think, I think no matter what video editing is going to be a part of my life at some point, but I do know that I think the editor of the Titanic, he edited the whole film. He had all the footage sent to him. And I think he lived in Northern California at the time away from LA. And when he told this story that he was able to edit and win an Academy Award for editing while editing in home, like in some like, I don't know, Northern California, I was like, that's what I want to do. And I was like, I want to be like him. Like I want to like, you know, be in the comfort of my own home, be creative and like have those connections and like do that. And I guess I'm kind of doing that, but on a different level right now. But it's like, I think we're all, we all want to have that sort of freedom to like, you know, live where we want to live and, and do what we love, you know, and that's kind of the goal right now for me. 
So we'll see if I can edit remotely for Netflix somewhere. If anybody's listening to this, let me know. I mean, I would love to do that. What show would you edit? I think I would have fun with starting with reality TV in the beginning. But then I also really love like the sci-fi or not sci-fi, sorry, those mystery documentaries. And so if you were fresh out of school, how would you try to get that that type of editing job? Fresh out of school. I think what I would do is I was probably I would probably either become an assistant editor or an editing intern for I don't know, I guess I'd have to do research to see, but I actually did an edit. If if you're looking for editing internships, I actually did an editing internship for the Hollywood reporter where I was editing short form documentaries and, uh, well, not really documentaries. They were more like entertainment promos with some found footage. I'm not quite sure what the genre was, but through that I was able to, you know, meet new people. So like you could find something that was like editing internship and then like work your connections because connections are everything, right? And then you could find more opportunities in that network to maybe, oh, somebody's looking for an, an intern, you know? Oh, that's perfect. I would love to do it. Like, when is it happening? You know? So it's like, LA is like really about that networking. So, you know, it may not be the perfect thing that you're finding at first, but it could lead you to that next thing. But tell me more about that internship. That was here in LA? Yeah, it was in LA in 20, uh, 2009. Um, I was still in undergrad and it was one of my professor's friends that worked at the Hollywood Reporter and they were looking for an intern that summer. And it was actually quite funny because my my friend went to uh, USC and uh, she was living at a frat house that summer. And I, I don't think you're technically allowed to live in a frat house if you're a woman. <laughs> I'm not sure. But she was like, oh, like I have an extra bed and I didn't have any money. And I was like, okay, I'll live with you. So I ended up living at a frat house and borrowing her car when she wasn't working to go to this internship and like edit. Um, this is actually quite funny. Yeah. And it was Final Cuts, Final Cut 6, 7 we were using to edit. And I was comfortable with that program and really nice guys I was working with. And I got to go on set with them a couple of times. We got to go to the what is it called? Cleveland was his name. Cleveland. So I got to meet the the guy that does the voice of Cleveland and a bunch of other voices. And we got to go to a round table of them doing all the voices. It was so cool. So we got to film that and then edit a little recap story about it. It was a really cool experience. You know, I, it wasn't paid. Um, but you know, I was, you just live a different kind of life when you're younger like that, you know? And it was very cool. Yeah. Very, very happy memories. What came of that? Experience? What came about of it? Yeah. Did you meet people that you've stayed in touch with or did, did some door open as a result of it? It's a good question, actually. Yes, there was opportunities, I think, to go back, but I didn't take them because I didn't, well, for one, I didn't really enjoy living in LA that much. Um, maybe because I was living in a frat house, but Maybe it was, <laughs> yeah, it's like, maybe you could have tried a little bit harder there, Kelsey, to ex expand that opportunity. But I don't know. I think it was just, you know, I was busy with school at the time and, you know, I was really into my program and I found other opportunities. Oh, I, I wrote a script for a film and the, the class that was focused on production ended up producing that film in my last year and I was applying to grad school. Oh, I remember what happened. Sorry, I'm remembering now. So I came back 2009 and it was my junior year and it was the next year 
that I had already, I, that year I had applied to study abroad in Australia and I got accepted. And that January I moved to Australia. So now I remember why I didn't go back to LA. Whoa. So I lived in Melbourne. I lived in Melbourne for eight months and I did screenwriting and I learned about Australian TV and art painting history. So it was kind of like a whole cultural immersion experience there. I mean, it's, it's different. But I mean, it's not like I had to learn a new language like here in Warsaw, Poland, where I am right now. But it's it's lovely. I loved it. And the people that I became friends with there, like, you know, still in touch with on Facebook. And yeah, it was like the Aussie way, you know. So you, you finished that program and, and then what? And then I finished that program. And when I returned, it was my senior year. So I was um, working. I actually got a job kind of managing a, a digital editing lab um, at UC Santa Barbara. So teachers could like integrate video with um, their core curricula. So they would reserve the lab and I would help, you know, like with any technical support. Um, and I would have lab assistants that would like format the drives and like manage the equipment checkouts and stuff. So that's kind of interesting because it kind of connects me back to that whole idea of like teaching you know, how do you integrate video with teaching? And I think that was, that kind of stayed with me always, you know? And I think that's why I've kind of always had the intersection of instructional design with video production. So while my experience with Hollywood Reporter gave me more video editing skills, it wasn't necessarily like my dream job to like edit like short promos about like LA photographers and like short TV shows, but it gave me that working experience. What is it you love about teaching and what are the things you've learned over the years that are best to, what are the principles for doing a good job teaching someone editing or anything else on a video based course? How can you explain something like that makes the most sense? Like, like what I tried to, when I try to think about explaining something to somebody, I'm like, how can I either use a metaphor or like break it down and be as like, because I remember what it was like when you're first learning, like it can be like anxious, like a lot of new things in front of you. And it's like, how do you focus on just like one thing at a time? It's like, and how can you be clear? And I always remember this. And I think back to my teacher that taught this to me when I was in seventh grade, it was learning how to do the scientific method in biology or chemistry class. I can't remember, but it's a how to procedure of how to do something. And then one time we were giving a task on how to like to explain to somebody how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> so this is in middle school, right? So it was kind of a fun exercise. So you had to write line by line how, how to do it. And so somebody was like, somebody was like, okay, now put the knife or like stick the knife in the peanut butter and then put it on the bread. So somebody literally just said, put the knife in the peanut butter jar and then put it on the bread. So the teacher took it and the knife was still stuck inside of the jar and then put it on the bread with the jar. So it's kind of like, how do you break down those steps? And I think that that stuck with me and I always wanted to make sure I was clear. And so that's kind of like, I always go back to scientific method when it comes to teaching and try to be as clear as possible while also integrating some fun and it was scary at first, to be honest, like stepping, like being in front of people. Cause I, I'm not like a naturally good, like public speaker. Like 
I would say I still get nervous in front of like a group of people. So it did take some work for me to like be able to be comfortable to like stand in front of people. But the technology was always there and that gave me the comfort. So I would always be able to like point or like say, oh, and this and get excited about the software. So I focused less on them and more like on what I was doing and like sharing it. And then that like fear would go away and I wouldn't like worry again, you know? So I guess that the scientific method and just, you know, being excited about the things that you love kind of makes that other fear go away. And that's kind of what I focus on when I teach. And so what do you think is the future of uh, online learning, video learning? Well, I think that there's like, you can see just from like a lot of people online now, like that are big, for example, um, Nas Daily, who does like the one minute videos. He grew a massive following on Facebook and he recently started Nas Academy where there's workshops and there's like online courses and like a lot of creators like, you know, sharing their courses. And you can see a lot of people like selling courses instead of like going and like going to a traditional school. And I'm actually teaching a workshop with Nas Academy and it's completely free. So I think that like at first some people were like, oh, like, you know, why are you offering all this stuff for free? I think when I first started out, it was like a change from like lynda.com where you would always go and like take those courses. Right. And I think now like people are using YouTube and it is becoming a more, you know, reliable source, um, to get educated, especially when it comes to like technical things, um, and how to kind of topic. So I definitely think, I don't know, it's, it's shifting. You're just going to see a lot more people relying on online courses now, I think more than ever. Do you, are there any courses you take? Um, not so much recently. I have like, I have reviewed my friend Valentina V's, uh, interview course that she did. And I really enjoyed her tips and tricks on like the difference between different types of microphones to use. Like I'll try to take a couple courses, but a lot of the stuff I learned was like from being my freelance shredded herself. Of course, there's always new things to learn. I have an open mind. But I'll try to when I get a chance to like read up on like some like YouTube tips, like on YouTube creation or like new, new trends that people are, that are teaching some of the people that I follow. But Valentina V has some great courses. And then I'm also trying to design my own courses too. So I don't have a lot of time, but I try. What, tell me about those. What, what will those courses that you're working on be? Well, right now I'm working on two different courses and then potentially one for next year. Um, well, the live workshop I'm working on too with NAS Academy, it's YouTube editing tricks. So YouTube uh, tricks to help with viewer retention. So what you can do to kind of like spice up your edit basically um, through comedy editing or motion graphics and sound effects and stuff like that. And then the longer course, I'm doing one on Premiere Rush, which will be coming out this fall. And it's basically the like kind of stripped down version of Premiere Pro and you can use it on your phone, tablet, and then on your desktop as well. So I'll be uh, teaching how to like edit like social videos in Premiere Rush. And then the other one, I'm actually focusing on YouTube stuff. So how to like uh, grow a business on YouTube um, and like different, the different pillars you can focus on in terms of like your revenue streams based on my own experience. That's awesome. Can you, can you give me a preview of that? What, uh, what were the first revenue streams that were meaningful for you that allowed you to, to start paying off those student loans and how have you yeah. <laughs> the student loans? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the first one, of course, 
that was terrible in the beginning was the AdSense revenue that you earned from the ads. Um, but actually with the how-to videos, once you like get a lot of videos up and a lot of watch time up, um, it's actually quite good in terms of return on the, because every different channel, depending on your topic, will have a different rate per thousand views. And I think mine is 20 plus dollars per thousand views, which is pretty good. Um, so ad revenue is one stream. And then there's Patreon and like crowdfunding. And then there's like merchandise and store that you can create like your own products. And then there's the sponsored element and affiliate marketing as well. And right now it's like ad revenue and sponsorships and affiliate marketing are great. And I'm kind of working on like the store part and kind of experimenting with courses too right now because courses is technically, it's kind of in your own product pillar, but it's also a little bit different. It's almost like its own category, right? Cause you're like saying like, oh, I'm offering all of these free resources here on YouTube. Do you want to take a more in-depth look with me? You know, but you're only going to get a fraction of the audience that will like buy into that. But it's, I think it's like, you know, returning the favor for all the free resources. You know what I mean? It's kind of like that. So it's kind of like those four pillars. That's awesome. You, you have a ton of, uh, brand sponsors. How have those relationships started? Is it them reaching out to you saying, Hey, we love your content. Do you reach out to them um, ever? In the beginning, I reached out to folks and was like, Hey, like, I love to like review your product. Would you be interested in sending me a free license and I'll check it out. And then those relationships just kind of grew over time. And now it's like, we get inquiries all the time from different companies and it's, it's a blessing, you know, and it's, we also get some really strange requests, like reviewing electric toothbrushes and like stuff like that. That's not related at all. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really great. And like nurturing those relationships are wonderful, you know, and it's, it's taught me a lot about like negotiation too. Like there's that whole, like, you know, banter back and forth. Like, how do you like negotiate your deal? How do you value yourselves? Because there's not really a standard in YouTube, right? That's kind of the beauty of it, but you really, it, it does become a craft and Anya's really good at it. Like in the beginning, I realized I was way undercharging and I've like undervalued myself. So it's like, really, you have to develop that confidence. Right. Um, and like, it's like, no, they came to me because they value my expertise. And like, I was like, had all this self doubt, like, what do I charge? Like, what is it worth? You know? And you know, what we end up doing is like every quarter we kind of like evaluate our fees and like our return to the partner. And we, I ended up creating like a rate card with also analytics, which is helpful. So if you're a creator creating something like that for yourself. So I have like a photo, I have how many subscribers, how many views, engagements I get. Um, and then on the other page, I have screenshots of like my geography, like my top five geographies, gender, um, what else device? I don't know if I do device. Sometimes it matters because of the technology. Some people are like windows or Mac only software tools. So yeah, you get the idea. It's like, it's great to just like have like a rate card that you can update to reference. What is, what is the weirdest brand deal you've done? Um, I think once it wasn't really a brand deal, but it was like when I was kind of new starting out, but somebody sent me a, uh, a, a butt pad, like for like your chair <laughs> that you sit on. It's like supposed to like help with like 
your posture. And I made it into a joke. I used to have this like rolling knee chair that like would move. So I'd like be sitting on my knees. Have you ever seen them? Like you sit on your knees and you're kind of, and it has rollers and I would like roll around the park with the butt pad on. So I'd like go place to place <laughs> like, and, I'm, and then I was just like talking to it was like a joke thing. Well, they didn't pay or anything. It was just they sent me the butt pad and I made a joke out of it, you know, and I want it. I think I want to do more stuff like that because yeah. it's pretty hilarious, actually. Um, so they probably were happy to see their, their product getting airtime. They were like, this is great. Premier Gal's rolling around the park. Oh, I love that. Using the butt pad. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I know. So that's it in terms of weirdness. <laughs> okay. And uh, do you ever do client projects or is it purely your own products that you work on? I did last year for a bit do experiment with some client projects. I helped edit a few like uh, passion YouTube projects that people were doing on the side, like when COVID was happening and they just started like a podcast channel and they wanted to like help grow. And I would edit that and have some of the editors that work for me edit that as well. And I just after some time, it just got too much. Like I would almost need like another person managing that. And to be honest, the editing, the, the, the money that I can make doing advertising and, and YouTube work on my own is, is far greater than what you can get with the client work. It, it, it depends on your client, right? And the client value and the reach. But yeah, I mean, I would still consider sponsors my clients, right? Because in a certain form, they are kind of like reviewing and like, you are like promoting their product and there is some sort of guaranteed return hopefully from that. So I like to say I'm still doing client work, but just in a different platform. What has been the, the biggest challenge of your career? Have you ever hit a, hit a wall or a low point where you may be going in a different direction, but you powered, powered through? Hmm. Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the low point was actually grad school and like overcoming that, but it's, it wasn't ever really a, a low point. I guess it all depends on your perspective, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I tr I try to stay positive when I can and, and try to look at everything as kind of like a new opportunity. But you know, maybe I think I think it's still always a challenge right now because it's like, you know, there's always a certain point in the YouTube channel where you would hope you would get X amount of views, and it's still a challenge for me to to try to make every video feel like it's a success. So I feel like every week it's almost like that still, because it's like, I'm trying to, you know, appease the sponsors, promote my own products, but it, it, nothing feels like it's a failure. It's just more of just like trial and error and like trying out new things. But I've never felt like there was ever like a super low point. It's just like every week is its own challenge. If that makes sense. No, that's a, that's a great answer. How long does each video take and, and what's your workflow for making it? If I get ahead, um, which I'm a few videos ahead right now, I can like think about an idea for like a week and figure out what I'm going to do and then write the script like in an hour, like just really quick, like bang it out. And then filming, depending on the video, it can take you know, a couple hours, maybe a little bit less here at my desk. And then editing it is a little bit different. I actually work with um, two editors now um, and I'll send them the footage and we work off a of Google Drive. And then they'll send me the version via Frame.io or Whipster and I'll leave feedback. And then that usually takes probably around four or five days. I like to give them just to like get everything done. 
And then the thumbnail is its own story, but I'm trying to get ahead to like actually take photos for them or like have an idea for the thumbnail. I started doing like more artboards in Photoshop. I don't know if you've used artboards before, but it's really cool. So I used to just like do a version and then I would create a new Photoshop document and like do a new version, but you can actually have them all together. Like you can create um, 19 by 20 artboards and you can like compare all of them uh, side by side. So I started playing around with like text more and different colors. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like, I would say on average, it's about like a week and a half per video for like everything. Um, it could be a little bit longer or quicker, depending on how long that video is. Kelsey, this is great. Thank you so much for coming on. Excited to see these courses. Yeah, no, thank you so much. I hope it's useful to folks who are, you know, trying to navigate their world right now in video. So it was really nice chatting with you. Really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers.